Here we go. Yes, you're listening to Wednesday's Law and Gospel on this December the 16th in the year of our Lord, 2020. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and we're continuing our analysis of the lectures that CFW Walther gave on the distinctions between law and gospel. And today we're going to be looking at the 20, I'm sorry, the 35th evening lecture. He gave that on September 18th, 1885, about a month after his wife had fallen asleep in Jesus. So there are some indications in here in light of her funeral that Walther kind of expresses, particularly in light of the love of baptism and salvation by faith. He has a little introduction because we're going to be looking at Thesis 22. Altogether, there's 25 of them. Jesus says about himself that he's not only the way, the truth, and the life, but no one comes to the Father except through me. And there are other Bible verses that Walther points out concerning this. Now, to be sure, Walther said that is a great and horrible sin. What sin? That a pastor would not draw his people to Jesus by listening to the message of the scriptures. Over and over again, you need to tell a person what a treasure he has in the Lord Jesus Christ. Walther says, to keep someone from believing in Christ is such an awful sin that words cannot express it. Because one could be depriving someone of everlasting life without talking about Jesus. Instead of a shepherd to that person, such a preacher becomes a starving wolf. Instead of being a doctor of the soul, he becomes a murderer. And I'm sure Walter was talking about that his wife did not have an wolf or an improper doctor of the soul. And finally, he says, instead of being an angel of God, he becomes a devil to that person. Then, then he talks about preachers who have not focused on Jesus Christ. The result is that these unhappy preachers have to fight a severe spiritual battle in order to fend off self-accusations and despair. Recently, I put together a book on emails that I have received. I've received many more than what's in the book. I only have 400 of them in this book, and I'm selling them for $15 uh, per book. And if you want one, you just email me at longgospel at longgospel101.com. Don't send me any money. I'll send you the book and a bill. And it's just $15. But I want to read one of the emails of the 400. He says, during several of podcasts, your show was referenced, so I sought you out. This past week, I've listened to about a dozen of your programs. 
In just this short time, I feel much like the man whom Jesus healed of his blindness. At this point, I feel as though I see the law and gospel, except that it looks like trees walking. I confess that I'm a pastor of an ELCA congregation who graduated from the Elka Seminary in Wartburg, but I have virtually no knowledge or understanding of what has been revealed to me by your show on Law and Gospel as one of the greatest of treasures brought by the Reformation. Now, here's the point that backs up what Walther says. As I look back over the sermons I have preached in my 11 years in ministry, I weep over the opportunities I have missed to bring the good news of the gospel. But I weep even more over the fact that I feel as though I still do not know how to bring that sure word of hope to my flock. He's got more in the email asking where he might be able to get a hold of me in a seminar, etc. But at this point, it really backs up what Walther is saying. When a pastor comes to realization that he hasn't properly been teaching law and gospel, he even weeps over it. Because as Walther says, the most important thing to do is to focus on Christ. Now, in his introduction, Walther says the worst offenders were the rationalist preachers. And instead of preaching Christ, the Savior, they recited their miserable moral regulations on how to lead a virtuous life. And then he quotes from Matthew, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. No less coarse is, from Walther's point of view, the offense of the papists. Now, the papal teachings describe Christ as a rigorous, tough lawgiver, even worse than Moses, because they claim they, he laid on people many more commandments than those of Moses. And they're probably talking about the Sermon on the Mount, where not only is it bad enough in the Sermon on the Mount to do something wrong, but Jesus includes even the thoughts and the words against this, these commandments are terrible. Now, by the way, that is taught in the Old Testament, but some think that's just New Testament. So, a poor sinner who is in anguish comes to a priest for advice, is not directed to Christ, Walther says, but he was directed to Mary, the so-called mother of mercy. And they gave the impression to be afraid of Christ, telling them that Mary must take them under her sheltering cloak, or they'll direct them to some patron saint. So for failing to teach and proclaim Christ, not telling people to believe in him, is as monstrous an offense 
as to blaspheme by branding Christ as a fanatic as unbelievers do. Walther makes a point, and remember, he's talking to seminarians. Countless preachers have imagined that they were preaching Christ and that they were proclaiming his doctrine until their eyes were open and they realized that they had hidden Christ from the eyes of the poor. This more refined way of keeping people away from Christ is now what the 22nd thesis is about. And that's how he introduces it. Now let me read the 22nd thesis. You are not rightly distinguishing law and gospel in the word of God if a false distinction is made between a person being awakened and a person being converted. Moreover, when a person's inability to believe is mistaken for not being permitted to believe. Now, what he's really talking about is that there were not only rationalists who taught moralism in Prussia, where the Lutherans left to come to the United States, but there was also a group of pietists who seriously mingled law and gospel. Now, it's not that Luther, I'm sorry, that Walther thought that pietists were just terrible. They had good intentions, and there were some good parts of it because he himself also was kind of a pietist for a while. But he mentions about seven theologians that taught pietism, Franca Breithaupt, Freilinghausen, Rambach, Lange, Bogotsky, Frizenzius. Now, they were guilty of a more refined way of mingling law and gospel. They did this by making a false separation between spiritual awakening and conversion. They said there were three groups of people, those who were still unconverted, those who were awakened but not yet converted, and those who are already converted. Now, Walter points out that is a terrible teaching because most people, if they look at themselves, would think, well, I, I, I've been kind of awakened, but have I really been converted? And so this can cause a lot of damage to a person's mind. Now, Walther says the pietists would have been correct if they were, if they regarded people who were awakened to be people who are in fact very much impacted by God's word. That is by law and gospel, but who then quickly wipe away the impression so that there is no effect. If this had been their meaning, it would have been quite correct. So what Walther does is he talks about those kind of people who seem to be really interested when they hear the word of God, but then they deny it. 
the first example he gives is Herod Antipas. Remember, he's the one that beheaded John the baptizer. But he used to listen to John the Baptist gladly because John had many comforting words in which he pointed to the promised Messiah. In fact, Herod had occasionally asked John for advice and then followed it, but he remained the same Herod he had always been. And of course, he decapitated John to please a miserable dancing girl. So he did not come to faith, but you can see he was kind of awakened by hearing the law and the gospel. Another example is Felix the governor. Paul preached to him with great passion, unrighteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. Felix was really interested, but he stifled that belief immediately and dismissed Paul. That's also true about Festus. When Paul, in Acts 26, preached the law to him and then proclaimed the good tidings, Festus said, Paul, you're out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. And there was a deep impression that the preaching of Paul had made on him, but Festus then declared Paul to be a fanatic. Then in also Acts 26, Agrippa, who said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And that was a powerful impression that the apostle had made on the king that it forced this public confession from him. Yet Agrippa then turned around to defeat the Lord and thus remained in his unconverted state. People like this must not be counted among the converted, nor should they be considered awakened. Because when scripture speaks of awakening, it always means conversion. Now, this has happened to me in, when I drive for Uber, is some people I'm talking to when I get the opportunity who are passengers in my taxi, they kind of do get interested in what I'm saying, but I have no idea whether or not they come to faith because I drop them off and never see them again. But there are many passages that indicate from God's point of view that someone who is properly awakened means they have been converted. Even though their faith may be very weak. Ephesians 5.14 Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead. Thus, here anyone who is awakened is awakened not from physical but from spiritual sleep. Then you got Ephesians 2, 4 to 6. But God being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Being awakened and being made alive are the same thing. Colossians 2.12, 
having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. Note well that this event, described as awakening, takes place through faith. Therefore, nobody can be awakened unless they have faith. That means they are Christians. Now, pietists object that any person who has not experienced genuine, thorough contrition in their heart is not yet converted. He's only merely awakened. And through contrition, and they give the example of David after his sin with Bathsheba and the impending death of his son. He spent night after night crying and weeping in his bed, walking almost bent over with grief for days. That's found in 2 Samuel chapter 12. And what the pietist said, anyone who has not passed through these experiences is only awakened, but still unconverted. So they are saying that without experiencing the great and terrible anguish of David, then you cannot really be converted. But the Bible does not say that everyone must experience crises and suffering to the same degree before they can consider themselves to be converted. I came to faith in baptism and I don't recall going through great crises over my sins. I did sin, obviously, and I looked to Jesus for forgiveness. So pietists would say that I had been awakened, but because I was having sleepful nights, that I therefore must be a person who is not really converted. But Walther says, even if you have a weak faith, a faith that is constantly struggling, God does not regard you as an unbeliever. In fact, we're told at the first Pentecost, when they say, after hearing they have killed the Christ, brothers, what shall we do? The apostle Peter does not say to them, wait a while. First, you must go through a severe penitential struggle. You will have to wrestle with God and cry out to him for a long time until the Holy Spirit gives you the inward assurance that you have obtained grace and are saved. Instead, repent and be baptized. And the term repent means to turn from your sins to the Lord Jesus and believe in him and be receiving baptism. They therefore immediately devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship of the breaking of bread, Lord's Supper. And therefore, these 3,000 people who were baptized at Pentecost, they became truly converted in a few moments' time. 
Walther also reminds us of the case of the Ethiopian court official who heard the message and then when Philip had told him that baptism was available, he believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. That was also true with the jailer at Philippi, who was ready to commit suicide when he thought the jailer, that the prisoners had escaped. Walter then says, show me a single passage in scripture where a prophet, apostle, or any other saint points people to a different way of conversion, telling them they cannot expect to be converted speedily and that they must first experience great anguish. In fact, they do this to terrify their listeners. But this is not the order of God. Pietists, he said, were guilty of this awful sin. And overly enthusiastic pastors who are sincere and mean well, but they imagine they accomplish this to martyr souls and nothing more. Whenever a sinner, Walther says, becomes spiritually bankrupt and asks you, what must I do to be saved? You simply say, very simple, believe in Jesus Christ, your Savior, and all will be well. Any kind of repentance that we produce ourselves is false, and, and God is really disgusted with it. The error of this false teaching in this matter is that they claim that a struggle must take place like David had before your conversion. Therefore, we believe that many people are really converted more than we often imagine because they hear the word of God and really believe in it. I think the most important point of this particular lecture deals with decision theology. What's decision theology? When you come to a point where you decide to have faith in Jesus. Now, the opponents of the Bible claim that God first awakens a person and gives him the power to decide whether he wants to be converted or not. That is false teaching. These people claim that a person must first be given a free will, which means that he must be awakened before he can be converted. But C.F.W. Walther quotes from Luther and the Confessions that that is false. You don't have to be reduced to this condition before you're converted. Once the law has its effect and a pastor must first preach with great force the thunder of the law and after that, the gospel comfort. These two should always be a pair. And we thank our Lord for this thesis where many people are wondering, am I just awakened or am I saved? If you have even a small faith that Jesus is your savior, 
you are converted. By the way, next Wednesday will be the last program of Law and Gospel for 2010. And due to the virus, etc., we're a little short on funding. Uh, a few weeks ago, we were about $8,000 short. We're now just under $6,000, so we appreciate those who are providing us with help. Simply write to me, Tom Baker, at Post Office Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. And you can make the checkout either to Law and Gospel, or if you want a tax deduction, make it out to Concordia Mission Society. Send it to 28910, zip code 63132, and we sure will appreciate that. I'm Tom Baker, and tomorrow with Wes Reimnitz, it'll be the last time he's on board for 2020, we're going to talk about Christmas. Till then, God bless you. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.